Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. So in terms of the weekend, like I said, I would ask you how it was, but unless you just got bracket busted completely and lost a lot of money, I'm going to assume it was an awesome weekend. I mean, I'll shoot you straight. My bracket is in tatters. I lost a lot of dough. I don't even care. I mean, it was so fun. So awesome. How about that tournament? St. Peter's, Miami, Iowa State, Arizona barely hanging on. Duke getting pushed to the limit. A shirtless Kelvin Sampson, another jungle guy. A near shirtless Charles Barkley, another jungle guy. Like I always say, nothing ever, ever lives up to the hype, but the first weekend of the tournament did just that. In fact, it actually smashed it. It was great from beginning to end. There were enormous upsets on Thursday and last night. Enormous upsets and games that went down to the final moments. TCU nearly shocked tournament favorite Arizona. You talk to a lot of people who know. Hell, you talk to a lot of people with a set of eyes, and they'd make the argument that Arizona is, in fact, the team to beat. TCU had them beat last night. That game had everything. What an amazing game that was. Everything from blood on the floor, insane dunks, horrific officiating, and nearly the worst possible way to lose a game. Why don't we start with the insane dunks? Find me a better dunk, a better dunk than this. Cusa feeding Colonco. Oh, bring in the house down. Wow. Throw it down, big man. Well, Benedict nearly ended the TCU player and the TCU program with that. Man, that was incredible. An incredible moment. Thing is, TCU is tough. Man, they are tough as hell. These guys battled their asses off. And there was nothing better than watching Eddie Lampkin just punishing dudes in the paint. He was tough as hell, brass as hell, and he had TCU in position to win the game until this. Terry with nowhere to go. Eddie doing a nice job sliding his feet. I'll tell you what, you want to talk about an assassin. You want to talk cold-blooded, Matherin. This dude is incredible. Clutch as hell. Carried the Cats down the stretch. But they were still in deep. They were still in deep because TCU still had the ball. They still had time. And because the refs were still going to be the refs. Well, let's check out what happened in the final play of regulation. This was a wild scramble. On to Miles with 10 seconds to go. Brings it across the timeline with nine. Tied at 75. Miles double teamed about 45 feet away. Five seconds left. Miles at the midcourt line. He gets bumped. The ball is loose. It's picked up by Terry. And he dunks it with no time left. They wave it off and say it's no good. They wave it off, say no good. And we're going to overtime. I mean, holy crap. There was so much on that final play. You had the final dunk that would have won it and would have absolutely stabbed TCU in the heart, but it didn't count because it came right after time expired. You let that go a split second earlier, and Arizona does not go to overtime, and TCU goes home, and they go home at the worst possible way, right? And the referees get absolutely exposed again. You could argue they were exposed anyway. 
because that was some truly horrific officiating. Like, everything has been great about the tournament so far, from the upsets to the stars to big teams hanging on, everything except the officiating, which unfortunately has been horrible. Listen, I'm not that guy. I'm not looking for the cheap, easy, convenient click. I get nothing out of piling on the officials. I get nothing out of saying how horrible the officiating is. I'm just not that guy. I'm not coming in here to put my feet up, to get y'all riled up, to pile on the officials. I get nothing out of it. I get nothing out of saying how horrible it is. But the problem is, when it's that horrible, I can't not say it. Like, there have been bad tees handed out, inconsistent inconsistent calling of fouls, terrible shot clock work, and then there was whatever the hell that was on that final possession of regulation. Listen, I'm all in favor of letting the guys play, but you can't just throw the rule book out the window altogether, and that's what the refs did on that play. I mean, either that's an over and back, or it's a foul, but it can't be neither. There's got to be a whistle there. You can't swallow your whistle completely in that situation. It's almost like the dudes in the stripes became fans right in that moment. Like they choked their asses off and they got bailed out because Arizona's shot was a hair too late. Like if that game were to end like that, how horrible would that have been? And even then you could argue that they didn't really get bailed out because it probably shouldn't have gone to OT anyway. Now, while that would have been a brutal way for TCU to lose... You had the feeling, though, that when that game did go to overtime, it was already over. TCU was running on fumes, and there was no way Arizona was going to lose that game in overtime. And then, even in the end, after TCU deed their asses off to seemingly give themselves one last chance, they got stabbed in the heart yet again. Single digits on the shot clock. Here's three to play. Matherin puts it up with two on the shot clock. I mean, almost no team ever wins a title. And by the way, that that follow and slam was an absolute Sam Bowie knife to the heart. They had just played their guts out the entire possession defensively. We're going to give themselves one last shot. And then you got a seven-footer come flying in. Listen, almost no team ever wins a title without getting tested in the tourney, and Arizona just dodged a scud. But I could not be more impressed with TCU than I am. They played their guts out. I could not be more impressed with the former UC Santa Barbara Gaucho, Jamie Dixon, and his team, and how hard they fought and how close they came to shocking a one and advancing to the Sweet 16. We talk about it all the time in horse racing. We use these analogies all the time for that sport. We always say things like, the horse, you know, he or she, he or she ran their eyeballs out. He or she ran a winning race, but came up short. That's TCU. They played their eyeballs out. They ran a winning race. They just came up short. But I thought had unbelievable heart. Arizona just had too much, too much length, too much athleticism, too much star power, too much execution. That was the very epitome of survive and advance and grit and length and athleticism. Man, hell of a game. What a great, great game. And it was not only that game. Then, of course, you had Iowa State. Iowa State, who won two games all of last season. Two games in the entire season, yet they won two this week? In the NCAA tournament. 
from two wins all of last season to the Sweet 16 the following season. The hell is that? How do you go from winning two games in a season to winning two NCAA tournament games and getting to the Sweet 16? They were picked to finish last in the Big 12, and yet now they're on to the Sweet 16. Credit to them. It's amazing. They deserve it. Badger fan, let me ask you how you're feeling. In fact, let me ask you how frustrating that was for you to watch that. Actually, no need to answer. I already know because our kid goes to school there. So does my money. That's not how that was supposed to go at all. I already know how you're feeling. I do. Then you've got Gonzaga getting pushed by Memphis, pushed to the brink. They were down double digits in the second half before Drew Timmy decided, oh, hell no. I'm not going to let this happen. Not here, not now, not on my effing watch. Give me the bleeping rock. Get the hell out of my way. Get on my back. I am getting us out of here. And he did. Like, if you went with the overall number one seed to win it all, good news is they're still alive. Question is, how are you feeling about that right about now? Because they did look vulnerable in both games. I mean, is that just knocking off some rust and finding a rhythm, or is that something else? Then you've got the story of all stories, right? St. Peter's going St. Peter's again. The Peacocks are the absolute best. The 15 pulled off one of the all-time upsets and knocking off one of the all-time Blue Bloods in Kentucky. Sorry, BBN. I know that's not sitting too well either. And you know how that goes, though, right? You have an all-time great moment, and then, of course, they come crashing back to earth, and they get their comeuppance in the next round. Always happens, right? <laughs> Hell no. Not St. Peter's. Not this crew. They beat Kentucky in the first round. They beat Murray State by double digits in the second round, and now they're on to the Sweet 16. The third 15 seed in tournament history to get to the Sweet 16. And how many good things are there about this? Doug Eddard, the face of the program. This dude's damn near the face of the entire nation right about now. He's at it again. Love this dude. Love his stash. Love his game. I love the fact that he had no big offers out of high school. That he started a grand grand total of seven games this year. That he averaged barely over eight points per game for his college career. And yet this dude is taking over the NCAA tourney. Crazy. Love this guy. But you know who I love more? Shaheen Hallway. Man, the swag on this dude. The swag on this cat. The it on this guy. This dude's pulse does not bounce. Hell, I'm not even sure he's got a pulse. His dudes execute like crazy, and I don't think his heart rate ever goes above 50. And yes, they are moving on to face Purdue. And the Boilers are going to throw some crazy size and NBA potential at the Peacocks. But if you think St. Peter's is scared, you don't know this group. You don't know how this group is built. I'm going to say this. It's going to come off a little crazy. I got guys from New Jersey and New York City. You think we scared of anything? You think we worried about guys trying to muscle us and tough us out? We do that. You know, that's who we are. How do you not love that guy? How does that not fire you up? That, that is such an awesome, awesome quote. This may sound a little crazy. Alvin, get ready to roll that again. This may sound a little crazy, but we got guys from New Jersey and New York City. You think we're afraid? Nah. 
No, no, we do people like that. They don't do us like that. I'm going to say this. It's going to come off a little crazy. I got guys from New Jersey and New York City. You think we scared of anything? You think we worried about God trying to muscle us and tough us out? We do that. You know, that's who we are. We do that. I'm going to tell you, there's a lot of guys in the tourney I love. There's a lot of guys that I'm connected to. I try not to become too tight or too close with these guys that I have to cover ultimately, but I've got friends that are in that tourney that I love, that I'd love to sit down with and get caught up with. But for somebody who I've never met that I want to have a beer with, it's that guy. That dude is awesome. We you do that. Think, you think we're going to get toughed and muscled? Man, we do that. We do that. They don't do that to us. We do that. We do that. We got dudes from New Jersey and New York City. We do that. You know, that's who we are. Guys, so good. So, so good. And that's not all. Talking about guys that I know, that I like, that I consider a friend. How about my dude, Kelvin Sampson, going back to the Sweet 16 again? And it's not just that he's going back, but it's how he did it this time. He lost his two best players for the season in January, shook it off, and now he's got his team back in the Sweet 16. The last three times there has been a Sweet 16, Kelvin Sampson has been in the Sweet 16. You know, you do something like that, and you do it with guys that you love and guys that you care about, and not not in some kind of fake, bullcrap, cliche kind of way, but I mean guys that you love, and then you overcome what they've overcome, and then you get there, then you get hyped, and when Kelvin gets hyped, Kelvin takes his shirt off. And just an outstanding effort by Houston, and there they are celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> Kelvin, love it. We got to peep this. I don't know if I can unsee that. <laughs> don't turn around, coach. <laughs> oh, he's pretty lean, man. That's not bad. Okay. Yeah. No, no. I saw some ripples there, some, some definition. What are, you, what are you laughing at, Chuck? What did you see that you couldn't unsee? Maybe he wants to keep chest, that, that shirt chest, clean. back, hey. all of it. Yeah, I kind of agree with it, man. Kelvin is 66. I think he's taking care of himself. Why not? Why the hell not? You get hyped, you take your shirt off. Must does. Must will. Seth Greenberg told me on my podcast last week, hey, Muss. He's like, I love Muss. I love Muss. But, dude, you got to keep your shirt on. And I'm like, why? Why? If you're Muss or you're Kelvin, why not? Speaking of dudes ripping off their shirts, Miami and Jim Laranega were the only thing standing between an Auburn trip to the Sweet 16 and a shirtless Charles Barkley. Miami pulls the upset, knocks off the two seed, keeping Chuck's shirt on his back. To begin with, I, I was tuned into the uh, games before us, and I, I listened to Charles Barkley tell the, the CBS crew, that if Auburn won, he would take off his, his shirt. And I, I, I thought to myself, man, no one wants to see that, Chuck. <laughs> so we did jam. everything possible to make it possible that he wouldn't have to do that. Well played, my man. It's not like this guy's not success before this time of year. I haven't seen Jim celebrate a win like that since way back in the day. When the Canes were celebrating that win over Illinois, and somebody shouted out for snacks. Mama made pizza rolls. Mama made pizza rolls. Hell yeah. Can I get a Mama made pizza rolls? Mama made pizza 
Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I got down hard this past weekend. I hit it hard. I bet almost every single game, and I got bloodied picking games. I'm not going to lie. I was jamming that cotton up my nose, trying to get the bleeding to stop. And the big head, James Kelly's like, dude, dude, your friends are costing you money, man. Your friends are costing you money. I'm like, I know. I know. I know I should have more discipline. I know I should not be betting with my heart. And I should bet with my head. But I can't do it, man. I love some of these guys. And some win, but we still lose. Either way, I've never had so much fun losing my ass. I've never had so much fun losing money. Even though I lost mad cash playing these games, I had fun. And you know what? I'm looking around the room for pizza rolls when it was over. I can't wait to run it back. This is why this is the best event in all sports. It just is. Like, there are so many things and so many events in sports that are so awesome. But nothing, nothing can top the NCAA tourney. It is an absolute blast. You know something's awesome when you're losing your ass and you're still having fun. Mama made pizza rolls. Mama made pizza rolls. Like, I'm running around the house going, Mama made bagel bites. Dr. Channel's like, did you lose that game too? I said, yes, but Mama made beef taquitos. Logs is like, yo, Pop, you know, don't you do this for a living? Why, Why are you losing so many games? I'm like, hey, son, look at me. Look at me. Are you listening? Yeah, Dad. Mama made Hot Pockets. I'm running around like, Dad, we've never seen you like this. What's going on? Why are you being like this? And I said, you know why? You know why? Because Mama made tater tots. Dr. Jano said, hey, can you take it easy? I said, yeah, I'll take it easy. After Mama makes chicken tenders. Such a good time. Logan's like, Dad, you're starting to scare me. I said, hey, Logan, I got something for you. Yes, Dad? Mama made fish sticks. Janet said, all right, that's enough. That's enough. It was funny the first time. It's not funny anymore. I'm like, really? Uh, I'm like, really? Mama made frozen banquet fried chicken. Mama made all that crap I used to eat when I was in college. Come on. All right, all right, all right. I'm done. I'm done. Good. Thank God, Dad. I'm good. Well, one more. Mama made Texas toast. And now a message from Discover about customer service and common sense. When you have credit card questions, it is nice to have them answered by a real person. You know, somebody who can actually understand your issues and work to resolve them. In other words, what you do not need is a robot. And that's why Discover offers helpful U.S.-based representatives available 24-7. No wonder we call it live customer service. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Hell of a coach, hell of a dude, very good friend of the program. He is Eric Musselman, E.P. Muss. How you living, Eric? I'm doing great, Jim. Appreciate you having me back in the jungle. It's always awesome. Dude, how about you? I'm really proud of you. So you're back in the Sweet 16. It is the second straight year. How tough, given how tough it is to reach the tournament, Eric, and advance in the tournament, how good does it feel this time around? And then what was that trip back to Fayetteville like this time? 
Well, I mean, it, 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 it's, it is, Jim, like you said, it's so hard to get into the tournament. People that aren't players or coaches and administrators, they don't know how hard it is just to, just to, just to make the big dance. Um, and then it's really difficult to advance every game. Uh, you know, there's so much pressure on the players. It's under an incredible spotlight. Um, and so then when you're able to advance, it's an incredible feeling. It, you know, sometimes, you know, the heart, I mean, the first game is so difficult for everybody uh, year after year. Uh, but, but, yeah, we got back yesterday. I uh, had an awesome trip. It's a really quick turnaround. I mean, we're one of the teams that's got to go from, from Buffalo uh, New York, all the way to San Francisco. Uh, you know, obviously the, the, the three-hour time change, and we're only home basically for 24 hours. Enough time to do our laundry, have one practice today, and then get back on a plane tomorrow. But uh, it's so exciting. I mean, to, to be a part of back-to-back Sweet 16s. Um, last year we were the last SEC team playing in an incredible league, um, and this year we're also the last team out of our conference that, that's, that's just been so dominant. Um, the entire season uh, from a conference standpoint. And again, I, I think this conference will be represented as well as any in the NBA draft, just like it has been the last few years. Arkansas head basketball coach Eric Musselman on to the Sweet 16. Eric, I got to ask you really quickly, like before we talk about what you've got going this week, the amazing thing is I'm not sure I've ever seen a coach embrace a host city the way you embraced Buffalo. Now, time is short, yet you made it clear that we got to take this all in. You hit up Niagara Falls. Of course, you were up the Bills, the Bisons, and more with your gear. And while you were in Buffalo, you had the chance to go over to the Bills facility and meet up with Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. I mean, there's so many things that you could do during the first weekend of the tournament. Why was that something you wanted to do? And then what did you take away from from that well it's interesting Jim Buffalo is one of the only cities that I hadn't been to I mean I've, you know traveling with my dad through his college coaching and and NBA coaching and then then when you coach in the NBA and the G League you know there's a lot of a lot of cities I've been to Buffalo I had not been to um, and so yeah I, I think with the student athletes you want them to have fun I knew that when we put that stuff on social media, that if we didn't win, you know, you open yourself up to, um, you know, to criticism as well. But nobody preps harder than we do. And so we have no guilty conscience about did we watch enough film? Uh, did we go through enough uh, individual meetings with our guards to go through our opponent's guards and forwards and centers? It's like we're, it actually, to do what we did, uh, JR, it helped me not overload the players to be quite honest because um my nature is to is to try to prep 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 and by going to niagara falls it allowed our guys and it kept me from overloading information and overloading pressure on them um and then it was the same thing i uh, my wife actually helped me she's friends with with a former uh, bill's great player we have a guy on staff whose cousin played 14 years um, it, 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 for the Bills, and I wanted to go over there and 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 see the stadium, to tour their facility, and then I was hopeful uh, to meet Brandon Bean or or Coach Sean, and, and it was incredible. Like the the amount of information from a leadership standpoint, I was blown away. How a head coach in the NFL and a general manager, number one, they were at our first game. Um, which was really cool to be able to talk about the Vermont game with an NFL GM and an NFL head coach. And then 
we got into all types of philosophical stuff, how you deal with the media after a win, after a loss. We talked about leadership. We talked about uh, bench players. And, and it, was, it, was, it helped me tremendously, not only from a leadership standpoint, Jim, but also it, it, it kind of relaxed me um, as well to, to be able to, to talk to people in another sport and kind of get away from the pressure of the NCAA tournament going into a game two or a round of 32. Honestly, Buss, I love that so much. Man, you are relentless, and I love the approach. I love the philosophy. I love that you did that. I love that you were able to glean that much information. I loved your candor, that it actually helped me relax. Eric Musselman joining us. So, Musselman, when you talk about prep, I mean, obviously, this is what you do. To me, the selection committee did not do you any favors with that first-round matchup against a really good, experienced Vermont team, and then you had to deal with a red-hot New Mexico State team after that. You broke down a lot of film. I know this on New Mexico State's Teddy Allen. He had gone for 37 against UConn. What did you see on that film? And then how much did your experience as an NBA coach help in the defensive scheme that you came up with for him? Yeah, I mean, I think the good thing for us is is, uh, that game against UConn, it grabbed everybody's attention. Like, So I didn't have to try to oversell to our players what we were going to have to do. I think they right away were like, all right, tell us, tell us the, you know, the answers to the test coach. We, we already know this test is going to be difficult. So sometimes, you know, like for Vermont, I knew how well coached they were. I knew how well Vermont was going to execute. I had incredible respect for their two star players, but when you play in the sec, sometimes it's a little bit harder in that first round game and potentially in the second round game to try to let your players know how hard and how good the, you know, the game was going to be with Teddy Allen. They knew they, they, they read, I gave him a lot of clips of national media stuff that went on about how good he played, how dominant he was. And then I went back through my old emails, Jim, and I tried to see like, how did we play Kobe Bryant? How did we play LeBron James? What did we do against Dwayne Wade? some of the things that worked, some of the things that didn't work. We knew we did not want to give him a steady diet of the same thing. So after every timeout, we tried to trap from a different angle. We tried to force him, you know, for one four-minute segment, we might have been trying to force him to the left. To another four-minute minute segment, we might have been trying to force him to the right. Um, our traps came from different spots on the floor based on what we dictated in the timeout. Um, much like you know we had done with Kobe Bryant, that seemed to be the formula that we eventually decided to go with. Um, and I do think it really, really benefited us tremendously, especially in a short turnaround time. You know, it, it wasn't like we had four to five days. It was a very quick turnaround, and I had to be very specific. Our staff did on on what we wanted to do with a great scoring player like Teddy Allen. Oh yeah, I love that sound. That is the sound of another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. What Shopify does is it gives entrepreneurs the resources that were once reserved for big business. So upstarts, startups, and established businesses alike can sell everywhere, synchronize online and in-person sales, and effortlessly stay informed. Scaling your business is a journey of endless possibility. Listen. I know where we started and where we are right now, and I do not plan on stopping there because success is a million milestones on a forever evolving path. 
And Shopify has the tools and resources that make it easy for any business to succeed from down the street to around the globe. Do this for me. No, do this for you. Go to shopify.com slash Rome, all lowercase, for a free 14-day trial and get full access to Shopify's entire suite of features. You have to try this. Grow your business with Shopify today. Go to shopify.com slash R-O-M-E. That's shopify.com slash Rome, R-O-M-E, all lowercase. Do it. Check it out. Arkansas on the Sweet 16. Once again, Eric Musman is their coach. Eric, you talk about a short turnaround, and you started the conversation off by saying that we're going to be here like maybe 24 hours. We'll get a practice in. We'll get our laundry done, and then we got to go back to California, three-hour time difference. I understand all this. I understand that you're not going to ever make it about you, and it's not. However, given the time that you spent in the Bay Area, given that's where your kids grew up, how eager, how excited are you for the opportunity not only to have, but to have it there and to go back home? Yeah, I mean, you're right, Jim. The number one thing is this is all about our student-athletes, the guys who have been grinding all summer. And, and, and you know, but you're right. There is, there is, a, there is a uniqueness to, uh, to this from a personal standpoint as, as, you know, the Bay Area is a place that I lived while coaching Golden State. And then, you know, really when I was coaching Sacramento, I, I spent most of my time in Danville, because my two sons were living there, which was really only about an hour and 10 minute drive from, from the arena in Sacramento and our practice site to Danville. Um, but yeah, this is, this is special. I mean, um, you know, although it's a different arena, um, from when I was coaching the Warriors, um, just so many friends that are still with the Warriors. I, I've been texting back and forth with Raymond Ritter, um, you know, the, their PR director who's been there for a long time and, even their equipment manager, Eric Housen. And then obviously, you know, we have a player that's playing with that organization in Moses Moody, um, who was a lottery pick, you know, after his freshman year here. So some really cool and interesting storylines. But I can tell you that, you know, we're out of tickets. I'm out of tickets. Um, the, the ticket request is, it's been unlike anything I've ever been a part of going back there from a personal standpoint. The other really cool thing, Jim, is my mom has never seen me coach the Arkansas Razorbacks. So it's, you know, three so full great. years. We had the pandemic. She couldn't travel during that time. Um, she's getting a little bit older. So traveling to Arkansas from San Diego is, you know, a little more problematic. And, and this will be my first game coaching in front of my mom. Um, while with Arkansas, which is really cool as well. Oh, Eric, I love that. I love that angle. Here's the thing, Eric, this is amazing that you just name-checked Raymond Ritter. I'm surprised you and I have not had this conversation, or at least not at length. Like, I'm running out of time right now with you, and I know it's my job to ask you about the Zags, but you mentioned the legend. And one of the first names you mentioned when you said, I still have a number of friends with Golden State, and Ray Ritter is right near the top of the list. Like, I don't know if you know this or not, but... I mean, Eric, Ray, I mean, I know you know this, but Ray is an icon and a legend and one of the greatest guys ever in the business. I, I so love that you're still connected to him and that tight with him. I'm always hyping Ray as a first ballot Hall of Famer in life. Like, for folks who don't know, what can you say about Ray Ritter that makes him so different? Why is he such a great guy in pro? Well, number one, he's, he's a great uh, communicator, like, to still stay in touch. He texted me this morning and, and, and asked if I could go on, you know, one of the radio stations there after I did my media at the NCAA. Um, 
to, to kind of promote the Sweet 16 in the Bay Area. And I was like, I texted back and said, Raymond, all the favors that you've done for me, are you kidding me? Done deal. It, that's the easiest thing, you know, you could ever ask. But I will say this, Jim, this is incredible. So I was a really, really young coach when I was coaching Golden State. You know, that's a large media market. And I'm a rookie coach. And after about three or four games, I went to Raymond. I said, hey, Raymond, when the games are over, can you and I meet real quickly before I meet with the media? Can you please have a list of bullet points to help me through the media? Um, you know, because if you're not a great playoff team, there's difficult questions when you're coaching a non-playoff team, which is what, you know, we were coaching in Golden State. And I wanted to be coached by him. And he was insanely, incredibly positive. Hey, here's some bullet points for you. Use what you want, what you don't want. You don't need to, but, but here's some thought. He did it for me every game. Um, again, probably 79 games because maybe I didn't ask the first three and found out, you know what, I need help, and this guy is the best in the business, so why not utilize him since we're all on the same team in the same organization? And there's, no, there's a reason that Raymond Ritter has been with that organization through different ownerships, through ge- different general managers, different rosters, because anyone that comes in contact with them has incredible respect for them. God, what a great story. What a great story, Eric. Like, such a great story in that, one, you asked for that help, and two, that he was able to share that help. Let me really quickly tell you my back, my background with Ray. Like, when Golden State, Eric, was not good, when they were really, really not good, he would always pitch me guests. Can you put this guy on? Can you put this guy on? And because he was such a pro and so detail-oriented and just, like, such a tremendous human being, I'm like, yeah, Ray, I can do that. I can do that. And then when Golden State comes up in the world and they're a dynasty, he never forgot that we had that established relationship. You know how guys are, Eric, right? When they no longer need you, suddenly they're nowhere to be found. Ray never changed. He was the same exact guy when they were winning 15 games a year as when they were winning 70 a year. And I know you're not surprised by that. Zero surprise, Jim, because when they were really good, and I would call and say, you know, hey, I'm in town for the weekend. I want to... I want to take my son, who's a sophomore in high school, you know, can, can I get tickets? Yeah, no problem. And it would be big games where I know they were sold out. He would always take care of us with tickets. He would ask, hey, do you, do you want to come down, you know, and, and talk to any of the coaches on our team or the other team? Can I leave a pass for you um, to get down? Like, it, absolutely incredible. That organization, I'm telling you, even like I mentioned Eric Housen, the equipment guy, I'll still get like a polo, a dry fit, some gear. Ever since I got fired every summer, Eric Hausen will ask me if there's anything, you know, that, that I, he can hook me up with. For, and it's just insane how professional everybody in that organization is. Yeah, but must I want to say that? That says as much, yes, I agree, period. Let that breathe. It says as much about you as it does them. They still love you, and understandably so. Mush, you're back in the Sweet 16. I know it's an enormous week. I know you also made it a point to come on this show. First thing to start the week, man, what can I tell you? Couldn't be more proud of you. Couldn't be more impressed. I'm not supposed to play favorites, but great to see you where you are. Musk, good luck. Have an amazing week, and enjoy that trip back home. Thanks, Jim. Now my phone, every time I come out of the jungle, I got 55 people or 60 people in San Diego just start blowing me up. So it'll be good to reconnect with some people after this interview. Really appreciate you having me on.
Clones, what do you want when you're craving protein or you need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. You want beef, pure and simple. Where's the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper Beef Jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. Old Trapper Beef Jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for its relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously and you can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat at its finest. It goes with you wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. So look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying. Look for it in major retail stores near you. Clones, if you do not see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? There will come a day when nobody ever talks about Urban Meyer ever again. Myself included. And I can't wait. Except somehow today is not that day. Somehow in March, on the Monday, after the first weekend of the NCAA tournament, and after the Deshaun Watson trade, Urban Meyer somehow is still in the news. Despite all of that, Urban Meyer was still trending on Twitter this morning, and still at last check was. And if Urban Meyer is in the news, then you know that's horrible for Urban Meyer. And this piece from The Athletic is hilariously horrible for Perv. Let me start with the title of the piece. Quote, the most toxic environment I have ever been a part of inside Urban Meyer's disastrous year with the Jaguars. End of quote. Like I said, hilariously horrible. It only gets worse from there. If Meyer's time with the Jags had only been the most toxic environment ever, that would actually be an improvement over what the environment described in this piece really was. Like, just saying that it's the most toxic environment ever would be a step up from what it reportedly was. Because it wasn't just, according to this piece, the most toxic environment ever. From the sounds of things, it was also the dumbest environment ever. Like, whatever you thought about Herb before this, no matter how low your impression of him was before this, it's about to get even lower. Trust me. Now, let me read the following excerpt from the article, and I'm going to read it word for word because it is maybe the single dumbest thing I've heard in a very long time. Quote, Myers said he conducted a six-month deep dive on the NFL that included interviews with his former Florida and Ohio State players as well as a study of the salary cap. But multiple sources said Meyer was unfamiliar with star players around the league, including 49ers receiver Debo Samuel, Seahawks safety Jamal Adams, and Rams defensive tackle Aaron Donald, a three-time NFL defensive player of the year. End of quote. This dude did not know who Debo was or Jamal Adams. This dude did a, quote, deep dive on the NFL and somehow had not gotten to that part where Debo and Jamal Adams were recognizable players. An NFL head coach who didn't know who a couple of pro bowlers were. And if you think that's dumb, and it is, it's about to get infinitely dumber. The Athletic continues, quote, who's this 99 guy on the Rams? Meyer asked one staffer during the season, according to a source, quote, I'm hearing he might be a problem for us, end of quote. 
Who's this 99 guy on the Rams? Who's this 99 guy on the Rams? Like, I don't care if that's a joke or not. You don't say that, especially if you're perv. Like, if you ever even thought something like that in that position, you should quit. Walk out of the facility, never come back, never look back. Can you imagine hiring a guy to coach an NFL team and then giving him crazy power and control and jack, and that same dude has never heard of Aaron Donald, a first ballot Hall of Famer? Like, who needs a deep dive to know who that guy is? Is there anybody coaching football on any level right now anywhere in the world? I mean, coaching five-year-olds all the way up to the NFL. Is there anybody anywhere in this world coaching anywhere on any level not named Pervin Liar who doesn't know who Aaron Donald is? I mean, seriously, how is that possible? Like, and I don't need Perv or his lawyer or anybody else to come in here and say he was just cracking a joke and I don't get it. Yeah, number one, no one believes... Anything this guy says based on how many lies he's told in the past. So you don't get the benefit of the doubt. And number two, the guy's lied so many times. Not only is there no way you can trust or believe anything he says, I wonder if he believes everything he says at this point. Because of this guy's track record of lying and spinning and not owning anything at all, I choose to believe that he really didn't know who Aaron Donald was. Never mind that he coached in college when Aaron Donald was still in college. Yeah, I choose to believe that he didn't know him just as I choose to believe it's one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. Because if you have anything at all to do with that sport, if you have ever even touched a football or watched even five minutes of that game at any time in your life, you know who Aaron Donald is. But not Pervin Liar, apparently. Dude was also probably like, yo... Yo, who's this number 12 cat for the Packers? Man, home slice can really spin it. How come none of you losers on staff have told me about this guy? If you're not telling me about dudes like that, you're not working here. I did a deep dive. I talked to a few of my former guys from Florida and Ohio State, but it's not like I can know every bleeping guy in the league. Do your bleeping work or hit the bleeping bricks. You're all morons. None of you have won jack. Me, I'm a bleeping winner. I've won everywhere I've gone. I'm the head bleeping ball coach. Now get the hell to work. I need to go kick the kicker who's stretching right now. Oh, oh, and another thing. Who the hell is that number 12 dude for Tampa Bay? He looks like he might know what he's doing. I want a scouting report on that guy on my desk in the morning where all you idiots will be slinging burgers at Mickey D's by the end of the day. If any of you idiots can even handle that. Man, no wonder Meyer was so devastated by that loss in Cincinnati. He probably never heard of Joe Burrow. Heartbreaking. Even though he recruited him. Like, he's not just the worst coach in NFL history. He might be the dumbest. Honestly. Not only the dumbest coach, but one of the dumber people. Like, you read this article and you think, how did Jacksonville ever hire this guy? You read this article and you wonder, how did this guy ever win anything anywhere? Like, the Urban Meyer in this article is as, it's like a remarkable combination of incompetence and 
horribleness all around. According to this article, he made one player cry. According to the article, he got so pissed off after a missed assignment in an exhibition game that he threatened to cut everybody. Quote, and do you know what would happen if I cut you guys? Myers said, according to four people in the room, quote, you couldn't get a job paying more than $15 an hour. One player said, quote, I lost all respect for him after that. Why? Just because he insinuated that you were all too stupid to work in a fast food restaurant? You lost respect for your coach after he said that? Man, those same players should have responded with, hey, dumbass, you didn't even know who Aaron Donald was. How about you shut up? We may suck, but at least we know who Aaron Donald is. Former Jags receiver DJ Shark said, quote, he feels like threats are what motivates. I know he would come up to us and tell us if the receivers weren't doing good. He was going to fire us. He was going to fire our coach. He would usually say that when the coach was around. End of quote. So in other words, this dude's gone like full-blown football terrorist. Full-blown pigskin hostage taker. Like you run that route correctly or I'll fire your coach. Imagine Urban Meyer being that guy and not knowing who Aaron Donald is, but thinking you can walk around threatening everybody else. I mean, as bad as the players got it, according to this column, the coach has got it even worse. And that fact that they had to defend their resumes, him telling them that they were losers and he was a winner. Incredible. Like, if this dude is still trending after all that, that's how toxic and how dumb and how horrible that situation was. And now a message from Discover about rewards. If you are a loyal credit card customer, you should be rewarded for your loyalty, preferably with something that's useful, like cashback match, for instance. Discover matches all of the cash back that you have earned at the end of your first year. Finally, rewards that make sense. Discover, exceptionally common sense. Learn more at discover.com slash match. Limitations do apply. Ed Cooley is my guest. Ed, it is so good to have you back. Ed, how are you? Jim, how you doing, my brother? How's it going? My man, I'm so good, Ed. How about you? How you feeling? Uh, I feel great. I feel uh, I feel energized. I feel inspired. Um, I'm, I'm so excited for our players. I'm excited for our AD, Bob Driscoll, as he's retiring this year. What a retirement gift he's going through, huh? Well, I'll tell you, Ed, nothing like it. I got to ask you, and it's not about you, but you are leading the Friars to the Sweet 16 for the first time in 25 years. As a kid from South Providence who went to Central High School, what does it mean to lead the school to the Sweet 16 for the first time in a quarter century? Feels great, you know, and and when you look at that, coming from Providence, being from Rhode Island, I I love the fact that I can represent those who've been, uh, who were underprivileged, who just had a dream and an opportunity. And you can't do it without the support of the administration. I sit here as one of those kids that just, uh, for those that are listening, continue to dream big because opportunity awaits and there's got to be a little bit of luck involved. Um, I pinch myself every morning. I love it. Ed Cooley is joining us. So, Ed, a lot of folks had you guys going out in the first round, losing to a tough South Dakota State team. I know you respected the comp- the competition. When you heard those types of things, did it just kind of run off your back? Or was there a part of you saying, now, hey, now, are you not paying attention to what we've done? Did you feel like they were challenging the team's toughness or even their manhood? What did you do with that information? Absolutely. In the locker room when you talk about how, you know, we just felt the whole year 
you know, the luck narrative. And if anything, that turned into a positive thing for us because our players kind of bought into it and just continue to say, Coach, let's stay dialed in one game at a time. You know, we like close games. Other people are not comfortable in close games. We've embraced that opportunity. And every time you would hear it, it just would fuel the fire. Um, our players love hearing it. And I'm just glad we don't have to go into that, you know, to the narrative once again of luck, luck, luck. If lucky is winning, then everybody listening is lucky because we win the game of life, not the game of basketball. Ed Cooley joining us. Love it. Earlier this season when you were facing Seton Hall during a timeout, you challenged your guys to, quote, be them dudes. Fans loved it. They latched onto it. What's it mean then to, quote, be them dudes? And do you feel like your guys have embraced that attitude as well? You know, it's, you know, Ivan Thomas, one of our, you know, one of our assistant coaches who's definitely going to be a head coach soon. You know, he says I use that term in, in, in practice all the time. Like, who's that dude today in practice? That dude has an it factor. He's tough. He's resilient. He communicates. He smiles, dives on the floor for a loose ball, impacts the game other than just scoring. And in that moment, I felt that our players needed to just needed a little bit of inspiration. Like, we got to be them dudes. And I didn't realize it would catch fire the way it did. But all my buddies that I went to school with at Stonehill, Jeff and Derek, they would always say, man, you're nuts. <laughs> I love it. No, yeah, I mean, you want a dude. You want dudes. You got a team full of dudes, and good things are going to happen. Now, you won the Big East title without having a single player on the all-Big East first team. If we do some rounding up, Ed, you effectively had five guys who averaged in double figures. The thinking in college basketball is you've got to have future NBA stars and lottery picks to win big. How would you then describe this team? I would describe it as them dudes. Seriously, because, right. yeah, we may not have it in, in the eyes and the opinions of our coaches and the players who are on that first team uh, and, you know, all this and all that. They deserve it. They deserve it. We're not looking for individual awards. We're just trying to survive in advance. Our players bought into a role. They bought into an identity. And it, it ain't about being an all-conference player. It's about being a winner in life. It's about graduating. It's about representing Providence College and their family in a first-class ma manner. And I'm so – I don't know if you can feel it from me. I'm so excited to coach this team. Oh, no, man, it's come through the phone. I can feel it for sure. In fact, I know so because after the win over Richmond, you made the point, quote, we're just a little school that everybody says, oh, it's Providence. Well, Providence is in the damn building. End of quote. How good does it feel to be in that damn building and to be making noise in that building? You know, unbelievable. I listen to, I listen to a song every single day, probably the last – 20 years and it's that one shining moment i listen to that every single day multiple times and continue just to dream and imagine and hope and pray and we're in a building with that song and built into my memory right now when the ball is tipped and there you are and that's what i'm telling my team today as we get ready to go to practice let's be them dudes let's inspire one another let's be grateful and appreciative of the moment and we are in the building that damn building, Ed Cooley joining us. <laughs> oh, man, you're going to face Kansas. I love you, Jim. I love your energy. You're I, giving me energy. You know what, dude? I'm feeding off yours. No lie, Ed. I'm feeding off yours. I am feeding off your energy. You're facing Kansas on Friday, and the thinking might be you've got to deal with them, but the fact is they have to deal with you. Providence is going to be in that damn building, too. What are your early thoughts on facing the Jayhawks? Well, I mean, you know, they're, they're the blue bloods of all blue bloods. Coach Self, Hall of Famer. Great players, uh, Abaji. You know, he can play anywhere at any level. 
uh, McCormick. You know, we're learning more about them as we haven't had to study them, we haven't played them. The fact that we have an opportunity to play someone like that to survive in advance, the opportunity awaits itself. You know, we'll have some issues, we'll have some problems, yet at the same time, you got to be that guy, you got to be them dudes. Um, you know, they're really, really good with their execution. They're really well coached coming out of timeouts. The more I learn about them, the more comfortable I get, I can give you further. But right now, the opportunity to play them, that's the scouting report. Whoever wants it more, who's ever dialed in more, who's ever the tougher opponent, will survive in advance because these games are coming down to one, two possessions every single game. Ed Cooley, my guess. So one last thought. Like what I'm hearing from you is so much gratitude. I mean, so much gratitude for where you are right now. But you never want gratitude to kind of turn into or slip into complacency. How do you balance gratitude with that ferocity and that hunger and that drive and being them dudes? So you put a picture of up somebody on vacation and you put up somebody who's just hungry, who's you know, doesn't have much, who wants to prove they belong, who has a chip on their shoulder, who continues to want to prove their narrative wrong. I don't want to be on vacation. I want to have that chip. It's not pretty. It's not sexy, but it's an opportunity. I don't think we'll ever get complacent if you play for me. Complacency does not live within the DNA of our organization. And I couldn't be more proud of the focus of this team. Freaking goosebumps complacency does not live in the DNA of our organization. Providence is going to get Kansas on Friday night. That game is 7.29 p.m. Eastern time. They are on to the Sweet 16. He's won multiple Coach of the Year awards already. Ed, I appreciate you. I'm getting so much energy from this. Man, you are the absolute best. Good luck this week. Have a tremendous week, and I can't wait to see them dudes again. My man, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Jim. Ed And then you've got the Browns situation, right? The Browns allegedly were out of the running for Deshaun Watson. And the next thing you know, they end up with Deshaun Watson. The Texans send three first rounders and a fifth rounder and a fourth rounder and the defendant himself. And the Browns promptly turn around and sign him to the biggest contract in NFL history. You heard that correctly. The biggest contract in NFL history. Five years, 230 mil, all guaranteed. All the years are guaranteed. All the money is guaranteed. And all for a guy who is currently the defendant in 22 lawsuits. I mean, (laughs) what would it have taken to get less money? 30 lawsuits? 40 lawsuits? 50 lawsuits? Would they have given him the same amount of money even if there were 50 lawsuits? According to Charles Robinson, that new contract has more total guaranteed money than any player in NFL history and more guaranteed years than any player in NFL history. All of that for a guy who's still facing 22 lawsuits for exposing himself and other accusations. Like, by the way, exposing himself is one of the more mild accusations that he's facing. But on top of that, he's now facing the biggest stack of cash in NFL history. And of course, team ownership is issuing statements like, we spent a tremendous amount of time exploring and investigating the opportunity to trade for Deshaun Watson. That's a quote. A statement from head coach Kevin Stefanski said they did, quote, a tremendous amount of background on Deshaun, end of quote. Yeah, I wonder. 
How much time did you spend talking to the attorney repping the women who are accusing him? Which leads to the question, like, what kind of background did you do exactly? What kind of background are we talking about here? Are they going to let the rest of us in on the tremendous amount of background they did on Watson? Did you talk to anyone other than Watson and his reps? Or did you just watch game film and call that a day? Like, really, what kind of background are we talking about here? I'm not surprised the Browns did not talk to the attorney representing the accusers, but exactly what did they do? When they said we did a tremendous amount of background work, what did they do exactly? And then they chased that, quote, tremendous amount of background by giving him a tremendous amount of cash. And folks around the league obviously took note. One executive texting with Charles Robinson said, quote, fully guaranteed five years and 90 million more total guaranteed than Patrick Mahomes, question mark, exclamation point, end of quote. Another one texted, quote, bleeping ridiculous, end of quote. I mean, it pretty much is. And it gets even worse when you learn how the contract is structured. Ian Rappaport tweeted, important contract note for Deshaun Watson, who got a five-year, $230 million contract. His base salary for 2022 is $1 million, which means if he is suspended, it'll come out of that base. End of quote. Like, that makes it so much worse. In other words, his 2022 game checks are so tiny that even if he does get suspended during the season, he doesn't lose much money at all. Even if he gets suspended for the entirety of the season, what's a million bucks to that guy when they're guaranteeing 230? It's walk-around money. He could pull that out of his ashtray in his car, out of the seat cushions of the couch. In other words, they are co-conspirators in this. They're in bed with him. They're doing everything they can to make sure the punishment for this is as light as possible. They're rewarding him with the biggest contract ever and making sure that the punishment is as soft as it can be, as soft a landing spot as you can be. Look, I'm not going to say that they're the only team that would do this. They're not, but they won that sweepstakes. They gave this guy effectively whatever the hell he wanted. They did. They just did. Hence, they're no longer America's team. I mean, can I tell you something else? That first year... That first year of that contract is a giant middle finger to the NFL. It is. And really, to almost everybody in general. Like, hey, by the way, we're going to give you all this money. Here's here's what else we'll do. We'll make that first year as small amount as possible so you lose as small amount as possible. Like, I know this dude's a good player. Is he the best quarterback in football? On pure football ability alone, I'm not even sure he's better than Joe Burrow, to be honest with you. Definitely much better than what they have. And as far as the money goes, we've talked about this a million times. When quarterbacks come up, a lot of it is timing and availability. But the fact that he somehow used his situation as leverage is pretty unbelievable. The defendant with 22 lawsuits to his name had a crap load of leverage because of it. And he used it. And the Browns were all too willing to play along. That's pretty wild to me. I don't know exactly what he did or what he didn't do. But I'm talking about 22 lawsuits. And he somehow converted that into more guaranteed years and more guaranteed money than anybody ever in that league. And you got pretty much everybody just shrugging their shoulders like, 
It's lawsuits. Who cares? What's the big deal? They're a pretty big deal now. But not to teams that wanted him and not to the Browns. So I'm going to go ahead and retire America's team. They're a better football team, but at what cost? And what did you give up? Way more than picks, if you ask me. He is Matt Norlander, who had himself a weekend. Matt, good to have you back. How are you? I'm doing great. Hey, big thanks to you for uh, promoting the podcast off the top, Jim. Just recorded a fresh episode here on Monday. I'm back in Connecticut, and I'm ready to uh, talk to Despite the fact that I can't go two days, two hours, without an NFL quarterback trying to ruin uh, this month and this tournament for the rest of us here. So, yeah, let's, let's talk to because I realize there are other things happening in the sports world. Boy, I love that. That's funny. Years, so. yeah, that's actually funny, and I know you, you mean that only half in jest or not at all. Dude, really quickly, since you said that, what was your reaction when Tom Brady tried to hijack Selection Sunday by unretiring when he never actually retired in the first place? Dude is a huge goober, okay? What are we doing in the middle of Selection Sunday? We have to appease our ego once more. Can't wait until 8 a.m. the next day. Got to, can't let us break down the 8, 9, and 5, 12, Jim. Got to unretire in the middle of all this. Don't even get me started. <laughs> Matt Nolan for joining us, I had to ask. All right, let's get right to this, all right? TCU gives Arizona everything they could handle. When you're talking about a number one seed that gets pushed in the first two games, there's always a question as to whether or not that's a good thing or that's a bad thing. In the case of Arizona, where do you come out? Did you like the response to TCU last night? Is that a good thing, or was the fact that they had to go to OT to finish that thing not positive? I think that's probably a good thing because as, as the way this normally goes is if you make a title game, win it, if, if you don't, you usually get pushed at least once before you get there. And I'm talking if you're like an elite one-seed level kind of team there and talking to coaches over the years, they'll, they'll often say, at least in retrospect, like it's, it's good to have that push. Yeah, of course you'd love to you know, win each one by 15, but if you can get to a Final Four and you've not yet faced a, a resistance in the actual NCAA tournament, if not in your, uh, your conference tournament, your guys might tighten up in that kind of spot. Arizona got a wonderful push from a TCU team uh, that I think just had a, had a wonderful moment here. You know, TCU has only made the NCAA tournament two times since 1998, okay? Since 98, it's only been here. So it's not like we're used to seeing the Horn Frogs on, that, on this stage even near annually, they're almost never there. And I thought they really proved themselves so well for a nation watching, riveted by that game, the final game of the opening weekend. It was incredible. Tommy Lloyd's team responded incredibly. Ben Matherin with the Ja Morant level, and I'm talking NBA Ja Morant in-game dunk in that, in that game last night. It was jump off your couch, can't believe how awesome that was. And then the end-of-game situation where there should have been a whistle, there wasn't. We almost had the most chaotic, insane ending to a tournament game ever. Thankfully, it didn't come to that because a whistle should have been blown either for a foul or TCU going in the backcourt, which should have stopped the clock. And then it didn't happen. I don't know what's going on with the officiating in this tournament. It's, uh, it's certainly been better over the years than what we've seen so far. But I think it's a good thing for Arizona because that team's ceiling is as good as Gonzaga and Duke. I think at their absolute best, those three teams – all still in the tournament, all, all legitimately pushed in the first weekend. They have the best high end. And so I actually think it's a wonderful thing for college basketball, men's college basketball in this tournament that we have. Jim, look at this Sweet 16 field. We have these one seeds that, like, Baylor didn't move along, but we still have three one seeds. You've got two blue bloods that aren't even on the one or two or three line, Carolina, UCLA, right? Then you've got St. Peter's chilling. Purdue is a three seed. It's an amazing offensive team. 
What I love about this tournament is that when you get into the second weekend, every single time you'll have matchups we didn't possibly see coming, and you get the hodgepodge. You get the mix. Tell me that you don't love Duke versus Texas Tech as much as you might love Purdue versus St. Peter's or that you don't love Kansas versus Providence. I knew Cooley was just on the show. That dude's about to get paid, by the way. And that game versus, say, Arizona going up against Houston. There's just so many different styles for so many different fights, and there's no other sport that can provide that. It makes for a very rewarding viewing experience and obviously a really thrilling tournament. Matt Norlander is joining us. I agree with you. I love everything about it. Don't make me pick what I love most. I'm very close to Eric Musselman as well. I love that Ed Cooley is showing up the way he is, and he's going to get paid. And then St. Peter's. I mean, I want to talk about Duke, Matt, and I will in a second, but when you look at St. Peter's, and never mind that they're still here, but when you consider the budget and the resources and Shaheen Hallway and the way he leads from the front like how impressive is it can you even describe or break down what it is they've accomplished given what it is they have to work with uh, it's it's almost hard to put into words so I, I tweeted about this when they won Thursday over Kentucky and then there was you know subsequent reporting and like when a school like St. Peter's does this everyone wants to know what's their undergrad enrollment how much do they even spend on sports how much do they spend on men's college basketball etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, I still don't ha- – listen, I've been, I've been busy. I literally flew home today. I think St. Peter's is in the bottom 20 of all budgets in men's D1, and there are 358 programs. Most of these schools, when you see their coaches on the sideline, there's a head coach and there's three assistants. Those three assistants are earning good money at power conference schools. St. Peter's doesn't even have a salary position for its third assistant. It's the toughest job in the MAC, the M-A-A-C. And for this school out of Jersey City – to get to the Sweet 16, how do you how do you not love this? This this is one of the stories of the year in sports, without question. It is so unlikely, and it's also why the tournament works so well for this country. It is it is a wonderful process in which you can come from Jersey City, bottom of the MAC, and you can find yourself on a neutral court against the University of Kentucky. And you can win a game. And in no other circumstances is Kentucky even remotely interested in playing St. Peter's anywhere. You know, maybe it brings them into Rupp because it wants to have a bye game. Yeah, I'm talking away from Rupp Arena. And you saw what they could do. And then they come and they play Murray State. You know, Murray State was one of the 25 best teams in the country this season, Jim. It's Coach Matt McMahon. It's being courted. He's being courted right now for the likes of South Carolina, LSU. Racers were obviously capable of breaking through. And St. Peter's withstood it. And now you, like... This is the best of it, though. Like, Casey and Depo has been awesome. And you've got Doug Eddard, who, who's just that look, that style, it's, it's awesome. Like, this, these, these guys that become stars, that get their moment on the stage, it's not just for a night or two. Now, like, the St. Peter story lived on a national level for another three or four days. It's absolutely incredible for, uh, for Shaheen Holloway and that program, and I can't wait to see. I just hope that they, they show up and they – Give us at least one more good game. Because remember, consider this. The two times we had this before was Dunk City in 2013. They had to fly to Dallas and play in Jerry's spaceship. Not exactly the ideal basketball situation. Thankfully, the NCAA doesn't do that anymore before you get to the Final Four. And then last year, Oral Roberts almost beat your guy Musk. Max Aceless's shot just went long. But it was in – I was there. I watched that game in person. It was in the confines of the quasi-bubble in Indianapolis – it was great, but it wasn't what this will be. What this will be later this week in Philly on Friday, it will be a local game for St. Peter's. You're going to have a, an actual fan contingent there, 
it should make for an incredible environment, and I hope that they can give Purdue a real good game. Yeah, I agree with you. It's so it's amazing. Matt Norlander is my guest. I think it's even more unlikely than what we saw from Dunk City. I think it's even more unlikely than what we saw from Oral Roberts, as amazing as those two stories are. I've never seen anything quite like what they're doing, and I want to say that I hope they show up a certain way, but I know they will because Shaheen said, don't you know, I've got guys from New York City and New Jersey. You think we're afraid? You think we're afraid we're not? All right, now, Matt, you were at the game games, but you were there for Michigan State-Duke. At any point in the second half, did you think that you were witnessing the final game of Coach K's career? Uh, yes. Yeah, so on a certain level, yes. I did think that that was on the table. And I had kind of, you know, from a covering it perspective, had prepared for that if that was going to be it. It's Izzo. It's Michigan State. Uh, Izzo actually traditionally is awesome on that second-day turnaround, whether it's the second-round Elite Eight or title game. He has a 79% win percentage there. So I was ready for it. What I was Glad we got was the game was actually it was just an incredible game like a high high paced really well played efficient game I thought it was one of the five best games of the of the first weekend but when Michigan State got up seventy to sixty five I didn't think that it was over I just thought this feels more fifty fifty than I thought we'd be at this point and you know AJ Griffin twists his ankle we actually wait on a health update uh, for. For him, we did not get one after the game last night. Griffin's going to be a lottery pick, and he's their best shooter. So with him not available, then it, you know, I'm just telling you, in that in that building, it felt like Michigan State. Maybe they're going to do this here. And what transpired, and I wrote about this uh, late on Sunday for CBSSports.com, was basically the best five minute stretch of Duke's entire season. And there's no better time to have it. And Duke has been a team that on defense has struggled. Uh, for much of the season, but in particular, like the past three weeks, it's been something that the players and Krzyzewski have talked about essentially at every media availability since before the Carolina game to, to end the regular season. And I, this, the stats are insane. So points per possession. If you're hovering just above one, you're doing pretty good. Duke was at 1.8. That is nuclear for the final five minutes. It reduced Michigan State to 0.67. That's just unthinkable that Duke could have possibly done that. But Paulo Bancaro had a block. Mark Williams had a block. Wendell Moore almost put a, a, a voodoo spell on Max Christie, and Christie just kind of threw it away. I don't even know if you realize Moore was there. Three huge defensive plays. Duke did not miss a field goal in the final five minutes, and it showed in that moment, kind of like Arizona, kind of like what we saw with Gonzaga in spots this weekend, at its best, it can play with anyone if it can just stay locked in defensively. And I actually thought that Krzyzewski and that staff really thought it might, it might be over because I was watching them as the game ended. And I'm just telling you, I don't know. See, I was there, so I didn't see the, the broadcast. I'm sure the cameras got plenty of it. Huge smiles, size of relief, exhale, like kind of like, okay, this thing isn't going to end before we get to the second weekend. That might have, you know, that would have really been soul-crushing to not even get into the second weekend. And then Krzyzewski afterward, what, you know, his voice had a little bit of a quiver. He was a little emotional with his team because I think he realized they had just pulled off a stretch of play to basically close the game, turn off Michigan State's water, and you never know if you can actually do it until you see it. They pulled it off, and I'll be headed out to join them in San Francisco because it will be Texas Tech versus Duke, an entirely different kind of opponent that will be going down Thursday night in the city by the Bay. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. All right, so one final thought. You mentioned Gonzaga. I wonder if, and obviously this is for Mark Few, was not his final game potentially, like Coach K, but that sense of relief, do you feel like Gonzaga felt any of that? Like when you look at them so far, what have you seen from them? Is it Are they showing you heart and grit in the way they came back against Memphis, or is this a cause for concern? 
that's a great question. I mean, there might be a little cause for concern. Cause like, all right, so Georgia State's in this game. They're winning in the second half, right, on Thursday. And then Gonzaga flips the switch, and they wind up winning by 21. I get all that. But for a while there, it was like, what are we doing? And then Gonzaga-Memphis, there were, Jim, we had like seven or eight just outright outstanding Saturday-Sunday games. And I feel like it was the best set of one seed versus eight or nine that we've ever had. Every single one of them was captivating. Even like Kansas Creighton, which is like completely overshadowed, like Creighton didn't have his best big, and it really pushed Kansas to the, to the brink there. But as to your Gonzaga question, the Memphis game, the matchup, was a really good one for the Tigers. And then for Drew Timmy to come out at half, after halftime and completely dominate, for those that might not be aware, Timmy was the consensus preseason national player of the year and instead he merely was a top 10 guy this season and Chet Holmgren his teammate was also one of the 10 best players and so because they're both really good I guess they kind of took votes away from each other took production away from each other here and there but you saw like Timmy hit a mode that had he been able to hit that mode last year against Baylor maybe Gonzaga has a chance maybe to make it a game I thought it was a huge sign of very big development because I still think I don't know if it'll happen against Arkansas, if Gonzaga can move along, if it would happen against Tech or against Duke. I still think we're going to get a Chet game in a big way. And he's already played well, but I'm talking like the Chet game where it's like, okay, is it really Jabari for number one? Is it really Van Carroll for number one? Might it be this guy? So I, I think that the, the tightness of the Memphis game is a good thing for Gonzaga. But just know this, that West Region is the only one with chalk. One Gonzaga, four Arkansas, two Duke, three Texas Tech. That sets up to be the best of the four heading into this weekend. And any of those four teams, yes, even Arkansas, because it's got a wonderful two-way player in J.D. Note, Jalen Williams. Jalen Williams will give Timmy a handful Thursday. Can't wait to be in the building for that. But any of those four can get out of there. I cannot wait to see what it winds up being. If it is Gonzaga Duke, Jim, that would be a rematch of the game the day after Thanksgiving. I maintain that was the best game of the regular season this year in the sport. And it would be humongous. It's the best possible match if you could get anywhere in the bracket before we get to the final four. Agreed, but Duke's got to get by Tech first, and that's anything but a given. Matt Norlander is my guest. He's a senior writer and a college basketball analyst for CBS Sports. You want to make sure you check out his excellent, excellent podcast. He's the co-host of CBS Sports High and College Basketball Podcast. And what can I say? Stepping up again. Matt, great job. Nice job. Have an amazing week. And I know you and I will do it again soon. I hope I didn't talk too fast for you this time, Jim. Good night now!